This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash free books to download this book in PDF. The title of this book is That You May Prosper, Dominion by Covenant by Ray R. Sutton. Copyright 1987, Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas. Appendix 4 Romans Paul's letter to the church at Rome is probably the most important of all the New Testament epistles. Why? Because Paul systematically presents the doctrines of the Christian faith. Nowhere else in the Bible do we find such an ordered treatment. For the new convert, Romans plants his feet solidly in the most important doctrines of the faith. For the older Christian, the book is a constant reminder of the basics that have to be returned to over and over again. For our purposes, Romans is laid out in the form of the covenant. The structure of the epistles is similar to what we saw in the prophets. They all vary somewhat, but it is apparent that the five points of covenantalism are the basic organizing structure. In Romans, Paul follows the covenant in detail. The Covenantal Structure of Romans True Transcendence Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 Hierarchy Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 11 verse 36 Ethics Romans chapter 12 verse 1 through chapter 15 verse 33 Sanctions Romans chapter 16 verses 1 through 2 Continuity Romans chapter 16 verses 3 through 27 1 True Transcendence Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 Paul introduces himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 1, 1. Without any delay, Paul makes certain that he communicates to the Romans the transcendent character of his ministry and message. Neither came from himself or man, but from God, from without. On the other hand, his ministry and message have the presence of God. In the past, we have seen covenants open on a redemptive note. Paul has been hand-picked by God to be an apostle, involving the transcendent creator of the universe in the life of his messenger. So his communication to them is distinct, transcendent, and bears the evidence of the presence, eminence, of God. One other interesting factor about the opening section of Romans is that although it emphasizes the first part of the covenant, it also has the overall pattern of the covenant. Note that Paul's introductory thoughts follow these themes. True Transcendence, verse 1. Bond service, calling, and being set apart. Hierarchy, verses 2 through 4. Historical development of promise through the Incarnation. Ethics, verse 5. Paul's ministry to produce obedience. Sanctions, verses 6 through 15. Sanction of grace to you, verse 6. Special prayer of blessing also emphasizing sanction. Continuity, verses 16 through 17. To the Jew first, and then the Gentile, refers to the continuity and discontinuity of the coming of the gospel. The true child of faith comes by faith. Verse 17. Many times the Bible includes the covenant structure on a miniature scale within one of the subpoints. Paul begins his letter this way. Romans starts where the other covenants have, with Paul's own calling, the incarnation, and prayer emphasizing transcendence and eminence. But the section progresses along the five points of covenantalism. At the conclusion of Paul's prayer, an amen is implied, although not expressly stated so as not to break the continuity. Paul actually inserts an amen at chapter 1, verse 25, but it seems to be in relation to blessing God, and not in connection to his prayer mentioned in chapter 1, verses 10 following. 
At the next two transition points, however, Paul will use the word Amen. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, and chapter 15, verse 33. The transition out of the transcendent section into the hierarchy is, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Paul addresses three issues, one summing up his introduction and the others pointing forward to the largest section of the book. First, Paul summarizes transcendence when he says righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. The theme of revelation is one of the three ways God manifests his transcendence and eminence. What is revealed? The righteousness of God which is none other than Jesus Christ. In a way, this statement is the theme of the book. Second, this draws us to the historical part of Paul's comment revealed from faith to faith. He even adds the Jew first and also the Greek. This historic progression of Jew to Gentile is the development of Old to New Testament. This opens the way for the second section of the book. Third, Paul refers to justification by faith. This is an issue of authority, a hierarchical idea that is unfolded for the next several chapters. The full verse of Habakkuk from which Paul quotes reads, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. The context in Habakkuk is pride. A proud man is one in rebellion to God's authority. In contrast to him, a righteous man lives by faith, meaning he submits to the Lord. Paul's quotation of Habakkuk leads us into the next section. 2. Hierarchy. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 11 verse 36. The hierarchical part of the covenant addresses God's authority and history's confirmation of this hierarchy. The following section, which runs from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 11, verse 36, is a development of these Deuteronomic ideas. Paul begins, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, and four-footed animals and crawling creatures." Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verses 18-23 through 23. Man's problem of rebellion to God's authority is analyzed as manifesting itself in two ways, idolatry and adultery. Paul's comments in the first chapter address both ideas. Turning from the Gentiles, Paul speaks in regard to the Jews and adds in the next chapter, You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Romans chapter 2, verse 22. These are precisely the same concepts taught by the second and seventh commandments. It was pointed out in our study of the Ten Commandments that each commandment dealt with one of the five points of covenantalism, the five points being covered twice. The two commandments that fall in the hierarchy category are prohibitions against idolatry and adultery. Paul casts man's sin in terms of these commandments. This also means that salvation is considered in this light, specifically justification. Romans chapter 3 through 5. 
In these chapters of Romans, Paul quotes Genesis. Faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. The context of Genesis follows the theme of submission. Genesis 14 concludes with Abraham's bowing his knee to Melchizedek, a type of Jesus Christ. Abraham's faith was pictured as the supreme act of submission to God. Indeed, later, when Abraham is asked to offer his own son, we see again the close relationship between faith and submission. To believe God is to submit to his hierarchy. When Paul comes to Romans 6, the influence of the second section of Deuteronomy continues. He uses the analogy of slavery. One never leaves a state of slavery or submission to authority, Romans chapter 6, verses 15 and following, being either a slave to sin or righteousness. Then Paul opens the next chapter with an analogy about marriage. The marriage analogy is an extension of the laws connected to the seventh commandment and defines the limits of submission to the authority of the law. Finally, Paul ends the justification discussion with the next chapter, Romans 8, developing how one is empowered to submit to God through the Holy Spirit. Paul finishes the hierarchical section by a lengthy discussion of ethnic Israel's apostasy, Romans chapter 9 through 11. He starts by pointing out that the covenant was originally made with them and belongs to them, chapter 9 verse 4. But they fell away because they did not pursue it by faith, chapter 9 verse 32. This is another way of saying they did not submit to God's authority. They are so rebellious that they will not return to faith and submission until the Gentiles have been converted. Romans chapter 11 verses 25 and following. This section, considered as a whole, is actually a history of salvation. First the Gentiles and then the Jews. This historic tone is consistent with the hierarchical category of the covenant. Paul proves that history confirms God's hierarchy of salvation through faith in Christ. Paul ends the hierarchical section with Amen. This time the Amen is not implied but stated. 1136. We should be careful not to put too much emphasis on Paul's use of Amen because he expresses it at other points when a shift in subject matter is not implied. Not only does the structural marker indicate the section is finished, but Paul now moves from the hierarchical authority theme to a different emphasis, indicated by his hortatory style. The literary shift is the primary reason for seeing the break in Paul's thought at this point. 3. Ethics. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through chapter 15, verse 33. Consistent with the other ethical sections of the covenant, Paul lays out the program for conquest by setting forth stipulations, by correcting aspects of the image-bearing offices of king and priest, and finally by specifying his personal plan of conquest. Paul starts with such stipulations as, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to the world. Let love be without hypocrisy. Be devoted to one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Do not take revenge. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. The following chapter even restates many of the Ten Commandments. Chapter 13, verse 9. Clearly, the ethical tone of Paul's letter is felt. But Paul also addresses the two Adamic offices of the cultural mandate. First, he addresses kings. He talks of the proper obedience to kings or magistrates and their corresponding responsibility. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and following. Second, he addresses priests. He discusses problems in the church at Rome, which were due to some who still wanted to apply some of the Old Covenant's clean-unclean boundaries. Paul's argument is, because the curse has been lifted through Christ's death, all food is open to man. Acts chapter 10. The wall between Jew and Gentile is broken. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 and following. The Gentile's food can be eaten because he is eaten by the gospel. See reference to mouth in Revelation chapter 3 verse 16. To continue to maintain the dietary laws as a point of law is a fundamental denial of Christ's resurrection. If a person maintains them as a point of conviction, he should be given deference and treated as a weaker brother. 
Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 23. Paul concludes this section by returning to some general stipulations. Then he speaks of his personal program for conquest in the spread of the gospel by outlining his plans to go to Spain, Jerusalem, and finally to Rome. Chapter 15, verses 22 through 29. He closes with another Amen. Chapter 15, verse 33. 4. Sanctions. Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. The judicial section is short and expressed in the form of a commendation or special blessing. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. Paul commends Phoebe, a deaconess, who is entrusted with the responsibility of bringing the word to them, Paul's letter to the Romans. She does not hold the office of deacon. Rather, she holds a special appointment. This was one of the unique functions a woman could have in the early church. Paul's comments fall in the sanction category because Phoebe was sent with special blessing to bring the special blessing, the epistle to the Romans. 5. Continuity. Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 27. True to the form of so many of the epistles, Paul concludes his letter with a long list of names. Why? Continuity is maintained. Remember that the continuity section establishes the true heirs. In this case, Paul greets several people. He expresses his approval. Greet Prissa and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Chapter 16, verse 3. Greet Epinatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Verse 5. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Verse 6. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Verse 7. Greet Apelle, the approved in Christ. Verse 10. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. Verse 13. There are many more listed here, but these are the special greetings citations. These are the people in the local church at Rome who would most definitely carry it forward. But Paul mentions some who are not so noteworthy. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Why doesn't Paul list their names? He does not want to give them permanent place among the honor roll listed above. He is singling them out, however, to point out the bastards of the community who not only break down continuity, but will lose it themselves if they don't change. Paul also makes a comment that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Chapter 16, verse 20. God had told Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This curse was part of the judicial sanction and the promise of continuity in the legitimacy section. Here Paul does the same. While cursing the troublemakers, he makes a promise of continuity that Satan will be destroyed. One final comment. This list establishes the principle of church roles and records. The Bible is full of roles of membership. The book of Numbers begins and ends with one, and any time the nation is reconstituted, lists start to appear. Why? There can be no discipline, meaning excommunication, if there is nothing to be disciplined from. How can someone be cast out if he is not a member? He can't. Today, when the absence of church roles is in vogue, the conclusion is that there really cannot be effective discipline. Sure, discipline can be abused, but the abuse does not nullify its use. Also, records keep track of any judicial proceedings for future generations. The Roman Catholic Church has a long record of all its court cases. Unfortunately, Protestantism doesn't. Since biblical law is applied through a precedent system, these records are invaluable. They help future generations to determine how to make decisions. They help to maintain the proper continuity. Conclusion Paul follows the pattern of the covenant in his letter to the Romans. 
His thought is so ordered by it that he even develops his subpoints in this fashion. Most students of the Bible will notice that most of the epistles, especially the Pauline ones, follow the Deuteronomic structure. But one last portion of the Bible remains to be considered, perhaps the most controversial of the Bible, Revelation. Is the last book of the Bible ordered according to the covenant? It would seem that if my thesis is right, that the five points of covenantalism are indeed the structure of the covenant and of the Bible itself, then the final book of Scripture should have this pattern somewhere. Not only does the book of Revelation have the pattern, the whole book follows the Deuteronomic pattern, and it is one of the most obvious examples in the New Testament, indeed in the entire Bible. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.